Hello, everybody. So it's a little early today, uh, but it is Wednesday, July 3rd, and we are bringing you Block Digest 182 at block height 583,637. So what is going on, Rick? What's up? Uh, you got your caffeine fix? Yeah, I was going to say, this is early in the morning. This is only my second cup of coffee. I might still sound druggy because usually I'd be at about three or four cups for now. So might have to jump for another cup bid show or something, but that's all right. Yeah. Pretty nice summer day. How are you doing today, Janine? Well, I am a coffee abstainer, so I haven't had any <gasps> of that, but guys, I think the supremacy of the U S dollar is feeling very threatened right now. So we should like come up with a plan to protect it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't know about that, but yeah, definitely starting to feel a little flimsy now that, uh, I don't know, big bad Zuckerberg's on the rampage. How about you, Nopar? How are you doing today? Well, I didn't drink coffee today, so <gasps> and it's already four, so I should drink six coffee right now to, to make sure that I have enough caffeine in my system. <laughs> no, you're gonna be able to comment later. You're gonna be jittery too much. But yeah, you gotta drink a little, like a cup of coffee a day. Ain't bad, I don't think. I should probably cut back. But um, coffee was the move away from energy drinks for me. So why cut back? Uh, because, like we're saying, I mean, three or four cups of coffee in the morning. I don't think it's that great for you. But yeah, I'm that's a, great. Um, up until six hundred milligrams 12, of caffeine. No, if you don't drink at least twelve cups of coffee a day, you're not a person. <laughs> it does have to be 12 but like 6 and 8 so no it's 12 if you don't have at least 12 cups of coffee in your system you should not legally be considered a person because you do not have the intellectual capacity to handle modern society dude if you're drinking 12 cups of coffee I don't think you're legally a person because your stomach ain't right man your stomach is not right but, but you, can, you can take coffee tablets too that's what I'm doing when I don't have enough caffeine in my system and i don't have time to drink coffee or energy drink oh yeah the extreme caffeines every gas station's favorite item yeah so i got a little bit of caffeine in me and i guess everybody here has the appropriate amount of energy they need to do the show so where are we going today what's our first story So uh, first up is my uh, paid promotion slot from my uh, Blockstream overlords. Uh, you, you know, we always have to get that out first or I don't get my bonus. Oh, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> so um, Blockstream has dropped a prototype tool for doing asset swaps on Liquid between uh, different tokens. And so 
shockingly, uh, it, it actually has a GUI uh, on uh, beta launch. So that's uh, it's a very strange experience coming from the type of nerds who work there, you know, initially deploying something with a GUI, but I'll take it. Um, so it's, it's a little bit rough around the edges uh, playing with it. So I would recommend uh, when you go to install it, there is a dependency on PyQt5, obviously, as well as a package called Click I've never used before. But uh, make sure that you are calling pip through uh, the Python interpreter and not standalone, and that you have both of those dependencies uh, satisfied with the appropriate versions. Um, PyQt5 will throw an error if it's higher than version, I think it takes version 5.1.1, but you know, you, you got through the, the edge there and it's actually a pretty nice, uh, simple tool. Uh, it's just literally a GUI with a start new swap or a continue swap button. And you can initiate that. Uh, with the start or um, after you start a swap proposal, it, it allows you to select the asset you will send and how much of which asset you'll receive. And then it just dumps the raw transaction um, for you to send to the other party, which you would put into the continue swap um, button when you initially launch it and just paste it in there, approve it. And then it goes back to the person proposing it to finalize and actually execute the swap. Now, right now, it, it cannot be used to swap assets in a single wallet, although obviously um, there's no real need for that. Um, just to be aware of like the actual technical limitations. But th this is pretty neat. Like people actually have a basic tool out there that they can roll into things or just use to perform a atomic swap within the liquid sidechain between different assets. So this is obviously when you deal with the OTC use case, really the first and then primary thing you need. Like with this, I can just bring my Bitcoin into the sidechain. You can bring a bunch of tethers. You trust tether. I trust Tether, and each of us trusts somebody to pull the Bitcoin out of the sidechain later. And switching those is now completely trustless within the confines of the liquid um, security model. And so like this is, is really pretty much all you need to really start using liquid for more secure OTC trades, <clears throat> which is you know, a pretty awesome thing because it not only lessens the counterparty risk there, but it's just also, you know, it really opens up the, the potential, I don't know, I guess size of liquidity for the OTC markets out there because the ability to interact between different markets, um, brokers, it's, you're, you're all just in the same thing. You can all if you can communicate some way, just seamlessly trade without dealing with anybody. So <clears throat> like, I think this is definitely, you know, the, the core infrastructure, as silly as it might seem to say that about just a simple Python tool like this, 
to really bring some serious change to the OTC markets and just the whole market dynamics. And it's going to be a pretty interesting thing going forward. So for right now, if you have a useless shit token worth nothing, uh, swap away and waste Bitcoin on playing with it. Yeah, I guess this is definitely one of those main use cases for uh, liquid that, you know, was something that was to leverage that two way peg to make sure that you could have some fast settlements there. And, you know, like you're saying, you know, it's good to have this swap tool because this is uh, pretty essential in order to achieve that. So, yeah, it's good to see this. It's good to see liquid moving forward. We've seen, like you're saying, these second layers uh, like lightning, the amount of development on there has been insane. So to see some uh, development on liquid, you know, it's always good to see this second layer stuff moving forward and how exactly it all keeps going and scaling and, Whenever we run into things, we'll figure out our way forward. But yeah, this was a central first step in, uh, you know, getting everybody on there and testing this stuff out, really putting it to the test. So yeah, good job, Blockstream. Oh yeah. And um, real quick, also another thing to keep in mind with this is because of the use of confidential transactions on Liquid, you actually have to share the blinding key for outputs uh, with somebody you're doing this kind of swap with. So that is uh, something to keep in mind as far as privacy models. Like it, when you engage in a swap like this with somebody else, you are pretty much giving them all the information about the outputs involved in that because you have to exchange blinding keys to do this. All right, all right. No par, Janine, you got any comment on liquid swaps? I don't like the GUI. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they, are, they are trying to solve the largest problem of Bitcoin. Not going to complain about the GUI. <laughs> it's good that they have. Okay, no para. Um, we actually got a GUI out of Blockstream when something initially launched okay just just take it take it and be happy i do i do i just i just did, couldn't express my sarcasm there sorry <laughs> <laughs> i get it it's just uh we got some people who are pretty sensitive to blockstream i get it janine do you got anything about li liquid swaps nope <laughs> All right. Well, then, what else is going on, man? We see some uh, some other developments with Sea uh, Lightning. What's going on there? Am I gonna have to put together like a Janine soundboard to like play from <laughs> whenever you you don't have a comment? You mean like pre-recorded comments? Yes. <laughs> I mean you might as well because when you ask me for comment and I don't have anything, I'm trying to think of something to say. So that would be useful. You can't turn Janine into a bot. That wouldn't work. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna actually do it. I have something to say. Today is Julian Assange's birthday. He's forty eight. Ah. Wow. Happy birthday. Yeah, happy birthday, man. You caused a shitstorm before fifty. Good job, dude. He's like, yeah, seriously though. I hope everything's going well in that situation. All right, so oh, what yeah. else is going on with Liquid, man? Well, um, 
Grubles has just dropped a tutorial for getting a fork of sea lightning running on liquid. <clears throat> uh, it, it doesn't actually have a CT support right now. So you will be moving outputs on liquid into publicly visible non-CT outputs if you use this. Um, but they're going in and out of CT, although it is still something to keep in mind. But you know, now Liquid is actually uh, compatible with an existing Lightning client, and Lightning can just go live right now on Liquid. And they are planning on uh, actually working to bring CT supports uh, to the fork with Liquid support. But the, the more important thing is now people can actually play with atomic swaps in and out of liquid over lightning. And so like it, it, it's really just kind of nice to see this because we've been watching over like the last year or so just like massive development in terms of infrastructure and, you know, different utility and protocol uh, capability support on lightning. And now we're starting to see that kind of pace catch up on liquid. So it's, you know, it's fucking pretty awesome. Like around the same time, we're going to have at least two pretty big second layers really hitting their stride and being fully interactive between the two. So it's just going to be really fucking fun to see. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, Lightning Network's got a lot of developers. I mean, that's a place where a lot of development is happening. So, you know, that sort of compatibility with Liquid, I'm sure we'll see some more people creating their own sort of swap tools. And what exactly is going to come from that? You know, yeah, interesting future ahead for uh, the second layers and coming together of the second layers. It's interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, like... You know, we're, I'm talking mostly about Liquid here, but like Elements... The, the software it's built on is totally open source. So like, it, look ahead, if we get to a point where CT is supported seamlessly, where it can interact with mainnet non-CT stuff uh, across Lightning, then there's like nothing stopping anybody from setting up, say, you know, a bunch of federated CT sidechains specifically for being able to do Lightning stuff with CT. And that really changes the game in terms of, you know, privacy over Lightning. Because if one whole endpoint can be kept CT and just route over to already existing channels on the mainnet that don't have CT, like you can really start adding new degrees of privacy to that. Absolutely. I mean, Lightning is already kind of... Uh adding a layer of obscurity and then uh, with liquid, you know, CT in there. I mean, yeah, it's just uh, the, uh, the sort of models that people can put together to add that level of privacy is, it's definitely something we need to keep moving forward. And yeah, I imagine we're going to see some interesting things put together to where, you know, this idea of uh, remaining private in Bitcoin isn't going to be as, uh, you know, what people would call complicated today, but um you know, yeah, I mean, as these tools get developed, things will get easier. Yeah, I mean, just like, you know, think about, say, some side chain that gets set up just to be for routing over Lightning Network with CT support. And people are just swapping off the main chain, 
with rendezvous routing through that, the receiver coming from the main chain and, and rendezvous routing in the middle on this CT supporting side chain. And you just have things like that that you can always try and throw into the middle of a lightning route. It's definitely going to be an interesting future. So, uh, no part, Janine, y'all got any comment on this one as far as C integration with uh, Lightning and Liquid? No. Are you kidding me? No part? You're not going to, you have no comments on something involving CT. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, Punk? No, sorry. I was just thinking about something that uh, I want to write down because. It's a good idea to implement into Wasabi. <laughs> <laughs> Taking notes. Yeah, it just came to my mind. But yeah, so I don't have any comments to this. All right. Janine, anything else for us? We got to pull out the sound bite. Yes, pull out the sound bite. <laughs> All right. So moving on. All right. Last we, uh, yeah, we haven't talked about this new exchange, Eris X, in a while. In fact, I dug through the archives and couldn't find the episode where we brought them up. I know we covered their launch, and the big thing surrounding Eris X is they are backed by TD Ameritrade. Well, there's another big thing about Eris. Just a couple of days ago, on July 1st, they were granted a DCO license by the CFTC. DCO stands for Derivatives Clearing Organization. So they just acquired that license. Thomas Chippas, CEO of the exchange, said, quote, ErisX is unique in that for our digital asset market, we have divided the trading and settlement functions using traditional exchange and DCO clearing models. This reflects the structure that institutional investors expect from other asset classes and will help drive these markets toward greater relevance and accessibility, close quote. And then if you're wondering what, when to expect these new futures contract, the general counsel, Laura Christia, said, quote, when futures on digital assets launch later this year, we will offer the market a single unified platform for both spots and futures, close quote. So it looks like TD Ameritrade will be offering all of their customers, their customer options in the spot and futures market for digital assets. I would be hopeful that they are offering Bitcoin only contracts, but the wording of the press release says nothing about Bitcoin, only digital assets, similar to Fidelity's digital asset platform. It sounds like digital asset is the terminology we'll hear when people are referring to these uh, basket of normie coins. So we've seen the price rise over the past couple of months, and it's been getting pretty volatile here in the past few weeks. I'd imagine that has a lot to do with new market participants entering the space. And with a large group of retail investors having access to these basket of digital assets, I wouldn't be surprised if we see another major price rise and another alt season to boot. So, uh, yeah, anyway, this is a big move forward for ErisX and TD Ameritrade, but we'll have to wait till later this year to find out more details about these contracts. But, um, yeah, what do you guys think about Eris getting the CFTC's blessings? Uh, well, I mean, that's a huge step forward. I mean, we've been really looking at uh, – you know, most of the concerns regarding um, backed, uh, the kind of the exception they were looking for in terms of, you know, custody and clearing things themselves. And the, the fact that licenses are even going out for that, like that is 
a pretty big thing. Like that, I think, is the first domino in a series of them that are going to fall and really potentially just remove a lot of the lines of reasoning and roadblocks that keep going up for institutional Bitcoin products. Yeah, I definitely saw Bact was, uh, you know, working on a similar thing for clearing as well as uh, Gemini is also applying for some broker dealer licensing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is a, something going forward that I guess, uh, you know, we got a couple of people in the door and we'll probably just, uh, you know, they provide the framework and we'll see more and more of those crossover and more and more people have access to this and want exposure to the space. And, you know, we'll likely see, uh, you know, we don't talk about price that much, but I mean, if you think of 2017 and the CME futures and CBOE and the way they launched and the price and all that stuff, I mean, it's hard not to look at it and think there wouldn't be something sort of similar happening, but you know, I don't really like to speculate too much about that. Otherwise you get a little crazy, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, Janine Nopar, you got any comment about retail futures markets? I know y'all love that subject so much. Yeah, I'm not even quite sure what those words mean, but. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Janine, I know you do have something to tell us. There's an interesting story I saw yesterday about some people trying to counter this whole FATF tracing everybody. What's going on with that? Um, well, I don't know if they're exactly countering it, uh, which I'll get into later. But basically, uh, recently we've been talking about the guidance documents from the Financial Action Task Force, and one of the blockchain surveillance companies called CypherTrace has been sending out press releases to various media. Um, in the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency space, including Bitcoin Magazine, that they will be partnering with another company called Shift, which that name, if anyone knows, makes me want to barf, um, to develop uh, what they claim is an anonymous identity protocol, which partners claim will allow crypto service providers to share information without disclosing user identity. They claim that this solution uh, involves a proof of knowledge identity protocol resembling a proof of knowledge, uh, a zero knowledge proof on a quote, smart contract platform with shared access between exchanges and other relevant cryptocurrency service providers. Uh, this cryptographically secure tool will facilitate an identity hub that will satisfy uh, FAFS's uh, crypto travel rule, um, which as we talked about in a recent episode was about requiring banks to share information about clients when they transfer over a thousand dollars to another bank or institution. Um, and a representative of CypherTrace said that uh, in, or in order for them to seek information, like actually go after them. And, and if it's a non-native person, they would still have to file a mutual legal assistance treaty with a cooperative country to get more personal information. And they claim that they hope this solution will encourage responsible disclosure of persons of interest without compromising the personal data of your everyday law-abiding citizens. So, yeah, there's a lot of buzzwords in there. Smart contract platforms, zero-knowledge proofs, identity hub. Uh, but none of this really answers the important question that I have, which is who will actually have access to the unencrypted identity information 
um, what conditions have to be satisfied to access it and who will have the keys to decrypt it. I mean, they kind of said that this would be a, it would be a shared access platform between exchanges and cryptocurrency service companies, um, but it doesn't say whether any law enforcement or government agencies would have access to it directly. And um, it doesn't explain like under what conditions will certain proofs be made transparent or any of that if it's a zero knowledge proof system with the ability to make that information transparent and um, also it doesn't exactly explain how useful a zero knowledge proof of you know some identity details about a cryptocurrency user would be in a law enforcement context so yeah, I don't know. There's not a lot of information here. And it also doesn't make me particularly confident if this is being run by CypherTrace because uh, I just want to remind everyone CypherTrace is partnered. Uh, I mean, I didn't check recently, but they, as of a few months ago, they were partnered with a KYC compliance company called Identity Mind Global, which is one of my primary suspects for um, who the former director of institutional sales at Coinbase uh, was talking about when she said that their former partner for handling blockchain analysis and KYC stuff uh, was selling data in in violation of their contract or their agreement. So uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not exactly too keen on anything CypherTrace is going to get involved in. I'm not particularly interested in any any blockchain surveillance company thinking that they can actually do anything good for privacy i'm really skeptical of that so i don't have that much expectations for this and at the end of the day you know if they really want to get your information they're just going to go through the traditional legal channel so whoever's collecting whatever information you know if 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 you're collecting information like this and uh you're you know the company is in a country who is complying with these kinds of requests the data is going to get there anyway it doesn't really matter what kind of zero knowledge protocol you've implemented because i doubt it would actually have any privacy protections that are meaningful yeah i was kind of uh i don't know i was suspicious of this news when i saw it because i was just thinking cipher trace and shift like what big reputation do they have that's going to make me start to think this combination is going to create some product that's actually going to be useful for outmaneuvering half of what this yeah i mean like cypher trace they're going to build this but they're going to quit the chain and out chain analytic part of uh, the industry i highly doubt that i mean like uh, this totally seems like a trojan horse to me i mean it kind of sounds like one of those things where people are just like yeah use zcash because it's more private, but buy it at this exchange with your identity, you know, all enabled and, uh, you know, don't ask questions because the technology is a little too complicated to uh, pay attention to when the reality is, is like, yeah, there's tools available out there. We have Wasabi, we got Lightning Network, we've got Liquid being, you know, built in, like we just talked about more integrated with Lightning. These tools are coming down the line to where people can create their own anonymity and stay anonymous within this industry within bitcoin but you know everybody wants to find an easy solution and i think this just is like when i read it i was like man this just feels like a trojan horse but I, I, what do you think shinobi no part i can you explain what the product does what the product is expected to do 
See, I think that's like where I'm lost is like, what are you trying to do here? Just prove that <clears throat> there is an identity period associated with something. Just hash the name and send the hash. And then you can have everything associated with an identity and you can't cheat and try to change what that says later if you reveal it. Like, why do you need zero knowledge proofs? Like, why do you need some hub system just like hash things? Yeah, I don't think they could tell you an answer why, other than like, hey, you know, look, we got a partnership and we're trying to solve this big problem everybody's a little worried about. But I mean, like, you know, I've covered the travel rule and you didn't seem too worried about it. I mean, it does seem like something that everybody should see as like counter to their value proposition if they're trying to serve customers within Bitcoin. Well, yeah, I'm not like worried about it. I'm just confused as to like, why not just hash things? <laughs> Yeah, because like, cause let, let's imagine a scenario where you, I don't know, you have someone who's, they suspect of doing money laundering and they're using a service based out of Germany. And then they start, you know, they decide to move the money to a service that's run out of, like, I, let's say an exchange, a service run out of Portugal or something like that, or the United States. And so like, if if the service in Germany is like suspecting that they're engaging in money laundering, what what use is there in like sending a hash of someone's name around to various exchanges saying, hey, this person who we cannot name, but here's a hash of their name, this person, <laughs> we think uh, we suspect that they're engaging in money laundering. It's like, how does that because it would be like, well, well it's, no, it's just for reconciling like. Let's say you want to catch the money launderer and he's operating in Germany, Paraguay, the US and Iceland. Like it's the, the issue is patching together all of that information, but it can just stay everywhere. And if I send money from Germany to Paraguay, the hash of my name salted with whatever the German bank uses goes along with it. And then they keep that. And when you put all of those records together and get what the hashes are from everybody, which can't be cheated, then you can see like, this is all the same person. And that's my point is like, you, why do yeah. you need zero knowledge proofs? Like just hash it. I mean, that's assuming that that's assuming that all of the services are, you know, if they're making hashes of their various customers names, that assumes that, they're using the same format of the person's name or I don't know. But well, no, that's the point. It's like you, the idea isn't to make the hashes match in like the present. It's that you can reverse them in the future to prove they're all the same person, even yes. though like I'm going to get a different one from the German bank in Paraguay and not know necessarily that it's the same guy who uh, received the money. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this was, this would all be something that would be like, for forensics later on after you catch the guy through other means but it's not it's not actionable in any way in the way that it sounds to me like it's not something that would be useful if you were like trying to find a person doing something or to stop a person doing something well yeah but it's you know the the point is like you use other things to do that like you know the, if i'm gonna tell 
if I'm in Germany and I go to Paraguay and go, hey, this guy's laundering money, like I'm not going to use hashes or like, I'm going to have some legal basis to go like, this is this guy's name. Like, you, what? why do you need? Like, I don't know, there's this whole idea. I, I, I can't wrap my head around it. It's just, it seems stupid. Yeah, I, I agree that uh, I think you guys may go a little bit too far of speculating on something that has very little, we have very little idea that what it wants to be because it just it's just a bunch of buzzwords, you know? Uh, I'm not sure that's that's enough to, so maybe move on to the next topic about that. No, I will speculate wildly on concrete details all day. I'm here all week. Well, well the concrete detail is that Cypertrace and shift partners. That's a concrete one. Right. That's, <laughs> that's about boring stuff. Oh, that's not boring. <laughs> it's definitely an interesting thing to see, you know, like we're saying though. I mean, as far as what they're do building, I don't even yeah, I think no part just said it best. I don't think they even know it's what they're building yet. So we'll have to wait and see. But as far as things go now, like we're saying, I mean None of neither of the two companies like throw my hands up in the air and say like oh they've done something great like so that we'll see what happens but yeah what what happened yesterday and it seems like something is still happening this morning with like internet traffic you can't load a website we can't even read each other's messages we had to go from Twitter to Keybase and I even couldn't get y'all through wire like what the hell is going on oh well wire wire is fine i just wasn't looking at it but uh what happened is because everyone has stupidly decided to use a rather centralized service called cloudflare uh which is a bane of many people's existence in information security but basically what happened is that yesterday they um they tried to deploy a new rule set for blocking. Uh, they said uh, the intent of the new rules was to improve the blocking of inline JavaScript that was used in attacks. So this was actually supposed to improve their system, but the consequence is that they it triggered like an SCPU exhaustion event. And so uh, this was around noon yesterday, a bit afternoon. And that basically, I think it affected 82% of yeah, at the worst, traffic dropped by 82%. So it affected like a whole bunch of services that and websites that were using Cloudflare. Um, yeah, so that it also includes uh, some cryptocurrency exchanges like Coinbase, CirclePay, Bitfinex, Poloniex, Itbit. Um, haven't looked at any others because I don't use any of these people, but or <laughs> or companies. But yeah. A big deal. I don't know why people are still using Cloudflare for everything, but that's what happens when you just make one little mistake. Everything goes down for a day. This explains so many things. Yesterday, I was I was afraid I got hacked or something because Google kept signing me out of of Google Docs and Google Hangouts, and I had no idea what's going on. I had to clear the cache, but probably it's related then yeah like what i thought was interesting looking at this is like how it affected the whole crypto ecosystem when really most of what went down was just analytics and logging stuff 
And so, like, just those services crashing, like, brought down all of these sites. And, you know, that that's just something to, like, think about is, like, all of the stuff in this ecosystem is using this one company for data logging and analytics. Like, that is a pretty big data mine of you know behavioral data in the ecosystem yeah i mean like for sure i was looking at it some of the stuff like where the coindesk tweet was saying some people were seeing like 26 dollar bitcoin on their ticker on the website and i just yeah it kind of makes you think like everybody using a singular service like this and they just decide they're gonna update to fix a problem and of course it causes a problem and everybody gets shut down and the markets start to lose the spot price you think some of those exchanges would fill orders that were definitely not supposed to be filled because it's like that portion of the exchanges are like looking at a price like an analytic set that moves their spot down well i think we're already at the point where there's big places of liquidity that aren't going to get hit by that and like more and more are going to come with institutions but I'm, i'm just more worried about like all of this data on market participant behavior being concentrated in one like honeypot like collected at one place wait so rick you said someone on coinbase was seeing bitcoin that was priced at 26 dollars coin desk not coinbase that's where i was like if it was an exchange like would that like would that order get filled oh yeah that well coindesk doesn't surprise me because like it's coindesk but yeah that would be bad Either way, the whole thing's bad. And I, I mean, it seems to be something ongoing. They're trying to continue to fix it because, like I said at the start of this, we've got some problems with Twitter messages. And it just seems to be a recurring problem right now where, you know, and in, in certain aspects of the Internet you try to go through, you're going to run into some 502 errors or, uh, you know, just some errors that, you know, seem a little odd. It's probably not your connection. It's probably a centralized service from built into the infrastructure of the internet that needs to be uh, spread out a little bit. So while it's bad, maybe it's identifying a problem that other people will try to, you know, I mean, right now this idea and concept of decentralization is sort of taking off on a major level. You hear it about, hear it in songs, you hear it about politics, you hear it everywhere nowadays, it seems like. So maybe whenever one of these incidents happen and it's in the public consciousness, they'll actually start figuring out that the way the infrastructure is, set up right now for the internet it's not exactly good for errors yeah and i just want to point out um the end of their post that was kind of explaining what happened cloudflare says we went on to review the offending pull request rolled back the specific rules tested the change to ensure that we are 100 percent certain that we had the correct fix and then blah 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 we recognize the the incident like an incident like this is very painful for our customers. Our testing processes were insufficient in this case, and we are reviewing and making changes to our testing and deployment process to avoid incidents like this in the future. Yeah, might want to do that. Really hard to find all those problems in a bubble. All right, so what you got any more comments on this one, guys? Shinobi Nopar, I know it's something you know where there might be some interesting angles on. Sorry, yeah, I, I just wanted to say that uh, the fact that, that the whole internet is using this 
service or at least a big part of it uh, just tells a lot about web development practices like get the thing down in as little time as you can and that how much it doesn't work in Bitcoin because well you see the NPM issues issues hacks are the exact same mentality in the minds of a developer so if you just put all kind of third-party services into your application then it's not the only thing that you have to worry about is your data what you have to worry about is the security of your private keys uh, in case you're putting your <clears throat> your uh, you keep your your money online uh, mostly the services those are using Cloudflare but also the things that uh, well the JavaScript wallets right or all the all the Electrum electron users not electron electron is the the let's put the web on desktop and mobile and uh, go with that so that's the idea it's a uh, don't don't use javascript uh, i think it, it shows issues a lot bigger than just like web development it's, it's like fundamental architecture issues with the internet i mean if like i mean like getting away from like big tier one backbone networks is not happening in our lifetimes probably but a lot of the big issues we see are all at like the edge it's like isps manipulating things it's central cdns to like get stuff to us through that last mile like getting targeted or fucked with and it's just all of these things on like the edge that we can actually try to address like build out more distributed like cdn infrastructure like let people like handle funding that collectively or just like make better market choices and not googlify like the whole cdn market or like stationary mesh networks tiered into higher tier networks and just bypassing isps like we can fix a lot of these issues but like they're serious issues that will take effort to fix and it, it, it's like not just like web development it's like th this is core architecture issues with the internet like these are problems based on how the topology evolved and a lot of them are actually within our grasp to fix yeah, my last comment is that I have a really great sticker that says fuck Cloudflare and it looks like one of those CAPTCHAs that you get if you use Tor and come across a Cloudflare website. Come on, my my last comment would have be let's not shit on Cloudflare because <laughs> the, <laughs> the thing is that they get to this market penetration means that they just provide such a such a good service for everyone who wants to use them. <laughs> yeah and it creates huge systemic externalities for everybody like that's like something you actually need to sit and think about and address or we are marching into a world where the internet is 
just a giant walled garden that the government decides what you can do in it. Oh man. Yeah. Like I, it kind of reminds me of this meme I saw recently whenever, you know, people in price action on Reddit and everything, there was like a people talk about 10 K support as being flimsy and they had like a Cheeto through a lock to like try and keep a door locked wherever somebody just pushed on the door, it would obviously fail. And, you know, we've seen this stuff with, uh, you know, like uh, some hacks, like what was it? Uh, the Bitfinex hack where they, everybody had the BitGo wallets on auto approve and it like took a big incident for somebody to see like, Oh, you know, BitGo is kind of a risk, you know, and you know, maybe similarly, you know, now, like we're saying in the public consciousness, people see this, maybe, you know, yeah, Cloudflare will have, some competitor crop up and make sure people are keeping their ducks in a row because, uh, you know, as somebody that was a civil engineer for years where it's like, you have to build something that withstands the environment. You know, if I like stood back to look at the internet infrastructure, I would say it's like a bridge built out of toothpicks and those like Cheeto memes everywhere. So hopefully we'll start to clear that up. You see one, one thing, one last thing, okay, left is that, uh, well, you can say, fuck Cloudflare, it's Cloudflare's fault. What, is it really Cloudflare's fault? It's more like the fault of the hackers those make Cloudflare to be needed. But no. is it really their fault? No, it's more like a architectural design flaw. No, it's the internet. normies' fault. It's the fucking normies. We should have never let them on the internet. <laughs> All right, the internet just doesn't scale. We found that out today. All right, so what else is going on, man? Like, it looks like, you know, Bitfinex and Tether are in the news, and I didn't see the price crash too much. What, what's going on here? Well, Bitfinex paid back $100 million uh, of the outstanding loan to Tether, and... Uh, fully paid up all of the interest on the loan owed so far based on their performance in the second quarter of 2019. So yeah, uh, that, that is, I think around a seventh or an eighth of the outstanding debt they've actually used. Uh, you know, depending on the growth in the space like this, yeah, this looks like they can pay this back in like the next year or two if things really explode into a full-on bull market like they did in 2017. And yeah, uh, I predict that large swaths of people will still uh, read about Tether printing money out of thin air and manipulating the entire Bitcoin market and being a giant Ponzi scheme. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like what they used a 10th of that funding they made in 10 days to pay this loan off. Like, um, I guess, you know, yeah, it wasn't too difficult. And they definitely have some reserves sitting around for if things take off. I got some questions, though, about uh, Tether. I saw in the news also is uh, Binance was talking about switching Tether over to an ERC20 token for their exchange. And I know that Tether is also uh, building out a liquid back in and um yeah, and sure, like Tether is about to evolve in this different way, but you think it's going to switch to this where it's like some exchanges you would use an ERC-20 of Tether and then some exchanges use a, a liquid of liquid token of Tether? I mean, like, because 
I mean, like the whole point of Tether is everybody's in this one pool of liquidity. So, I mean, like I imagine there's some sort of way that would work through atomic swaps or something. But uh, it's just interesting developments with Tether moving around and since we're on the topic. Yeah, I mean, you know, real long term, I think all things like that will wind up in side chains like Liquid and like other federated environments. But, you know, strictly speaking, it's it is all the same pool of liquidity in that all of it is redeemable from Tether one to one. It's really the secondary markets where there is that big difference of liquidity. But you know, I mean, it, that's kind of the, the thing about a stablecoin is you can just literally toss it on anything because it's just a promise that you'll give somebody a dollar back. All right. All right. So, yeah, good to know everybody's on the up and up on that whole Bitfinex Tether thing because, you know, just one dollar down or one cent out of the reserve, everybody's going to flip out. So good to see. Anything uh, else on this, uh, Janine Nopora? All right. I'm going to take the soundboard no. Nope. So uh, what's going on with the Bank of International Settlements? These guys, uh, all right, what's going on? Oh, uh, well, after shitting on Bitcoin for many years now, because he's all butthurt that it upsets the order of things, uh, the head of the BIS is now saying that central banks will likely soon need to issue their own digital currencies and that the BIS is actually supporting a few central banks efforts to research and develop them in the near future. He even um, said pretty much that arrival of such products might just be around the corner if there is a clear market demand for them. And I think the real interesting thing here is just the timing and how this coincides with what's going on with Facebook and Libra being pitched, that all of a sudden the, this institution is just about facing and pushing for something or trying to hint at something that a large number of central banks have already reached the conclusion themselves that doing would completely upset the entire structure of the financial system and just how liquidity flows through it and debt functions that would just destabilize everything. But now, now that, that Facebook has come out with Libra, all of a sudden that attitude has completely shifted. Like, Oh, we might need to do this ourselves to compete. Like if people want something like this and it's just, it's, it's interesting to see that, the timing when you juxtapose those two events and just how that flip came to be situationally. Like it's really interesting. The attitude difference based on the perceived threat that institutions like this see in something like Libra versus Bitcoin, when the reality is almost completely inverted. Yeah, man. I mean, like, I guess they eventually had to come around on understanding this thing a little bit. And I guess it did take Facebook with a billion, supposedly billions user base to uh, say like, oh, wow, you know, if somebody just like created something that their user base would use, then, you know, that could be a real problem for us. And, you know, they look at 
Bitcoin and they don't really see much of a user base there, I guess. And so they never really got that freaked out. But now, yeah, they're a little freaked out. And yeah, I guess they should be. And it's all right, though. I mean, you know, we know that it really can't compete. I mean, we've seen the St. Louis Fed do their research on like the reason why a uh, central bank digital currency would be a bad move in this uh, big game of game theory with cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. So, yeah, it'll be a, I don't know, this whole Facebook launch thing has definitely ruffled some feathers. You guys, uh, Janine Nopar, got a comment on this? Yeah, just a little bit of nostalgia here that it's huge news that Facebook, uh, large Bitcoin, large companies creating a shitcoin. And I just remember that in 2014, uh, there was a shitcoin that was created by some some random small company, and that was the that was the big big thing. Wow! Finally, a altcoin is created by someone who is company behind it, so it's gonna be good. Then I bought in, and the exchange uh, went away with my money, but. Oh, wow. <laughs> Does but, anybody remember when it was just like us arguing about why businesses weren't taking our Bitcoin yet? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not dealing with all of the, the these concrete examples of global politics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to me how we can report on geopolitics within Bitcoin on a regular basis whenever. Yeah, back in the day, it was like, you know, you were a little jazz to see like some bad news about bitcoin just because the press was reporting on it it was so you know now it's just like yeah you got glaring examples from major corporations you know trying to put their hands in this game it's a yeah. crazy in comparison it's also interesting from a personal development point of view for example in university i was so ignorant i didn't even know what was the prime who was the prime minister of my country and with Bitcoin, uh, well, no, no entities really cared about Bitcoin back then. So while well, I got into Bitcoin, I started to, to research. And as, as the years progressed, uh, uh, more and more larger entities, government entities and companies started to fiddle with uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. And I, this is how I started to get familiar with with what the hell is going on in the world, you know? It's uh, it's really interesting to, to see it from that perspective that, yeah, I I probably very biased because I, I learned everything from a Bitcoin lens, but while it's probably better than I, than that, that I wouldn't know anything, you know? Yeah. It's just, yeah, just crazy to think about. Jeez, man. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, like you're saying, I mean, whenever I was looking into this, it was like, like we're saying, it wasn't nobody talking about it. And it was very, very interesting in 2017. It kind of all took off there towards the early mid part of it. And it was really kind of a wake up call for me where it was like, oh, shit, this experiment is moving out of this experiment phase. And yeah, go ahead. Or also the money that uh, that you don't really have any conception of 
of what a million what's the difference between a million and a billion dollars it's 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 almost like the same except when you live through that that bitcoin goes from a million dollar to uh, 10 million market cap and 100 million and then you can see what's really going on then you can see when there is a news in somewhere random news that hey uh 500 billion went into this project oh, yeah bitcoin got into 500 billion too so it's not that big money <laughs> <laughs> so you you have you have perspective you can compare it to compare the big news to bitcoin's market cap <laughs> it's interesting yeah this uh perspective we're at is definitely dizzying from where we were and yeah i guess there's some guys like facebook trying to jump out on the top roof level where we are and it will land them in trouble so yeah it looks like it did and uh they're in some more hot water so what is going on with libra coin well uh Yesterday, a screenshot of a letter supposedly from Congress started circulating uh, from Pomp, and it turns out to actually be legit. It's posted on the financial services uh, house.gov site now. But uh, Maxine Waters actually did it. Uh, the, the opening paragraph of a letter from the Financial Services Committee to Facebook is, we write to request that Facebook and its partners immediately agree to a moratorium on any movement forward on Libra, its proposed cryptocurrency, and Calibra, its proposed digital wallet. It appears that these products may lend themselves to an entirely new global financial system that is based out of Switzerland and intended or intended to rival U.S. monetary policy and the dollar. This raises serious privacy, trading, national security, and monetary policy concerns for not only Facebook's over 2 billion users, but also investors, consumers, and the broader global economy. Like this is that that is the opening paragraph of a committee in Congress telling Facebook no, stop. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, and I, I like this is exactly what I was saying. Like Nopara, with like the reason something like this is a perceived threat has nothing to do with the technology; it's how it functions economically. And like they, they even bring up in the letter, like their issues with holding um, data privately, like the Cambridge Analytica scenario, the fact that they're still under an order um, by, under the FTC for a violation. They owe $5 billion in fines, likely is the estimate for the reason they're under the uh, order in the first place. Like this is literally this is literally exactly what I was saying. Like that this is not happening because the government is in this climate, how they're looking at these companies and what they're gonna see as the threat here, it's just not happening. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it is uh crazy to see them send out this letter, but Hey, you know what? They are finally starting to get it. I mean, this is two congressmen or the other guy might have been a senator, but this is two, you know, representative people within the United States government who have openly stated like, you know, this is a major part of the United States security and this is a threat. And people are starting to understand that. I mean, whenever 
that senator or congressman said that a couple months ago. You know, there was people coming into Bitcoin because they did not understand that was something that Bitcoin was trying to, uh, you know, actually intercede in. And, you know, now they see it as some sort of uh, option that can actually sort of, yeah, move away from that system. And, you know, here it is again. I'm sure some more people are going to catch it. It's, uh, it's definitely like we're saying, it's a dizzying level we're at where, these government officials are just so openly admitting something they wouldn't do even, you know, this time last year. You know, the yeah. irony is that this kind of puts us Bitcoiners into the same side as Facebook. <laughs> no, but dude, like, and, and this is the committee that oversees the entire financial services industry. So like this is the most potent little sub branch of something that could whack at Facebook and they are for exactly the reasons I laid out. Like it's like, here's the target. Like that everybody's worried about Bitcoin and where it's going, but they can't see a way to do anything about it. And then Facebook just, Oh, we can do something about this. And we're already really pissed off at you guys for a bunch of shit. No kidding, right? Like, did you see just recently they announced, like, they just openly announced, like, it's totally their plan to manipulate the 2020 election. So, I mean, it's like, guys, you are just begging for regulation, man. You're begging to be broken up. I mean, this is things that are all supposed to be inalienable rights as citizens of the United States that you are totally just capturing and moving forward with. There's it's I think it's kind of a nonsensical position as far as like somebody that wants to actually maintain a business structure that they can work with. I mean, it just seems like this is headlong into something that they, you know, they should be standing against. I don't know. Also, this is the same kind of rhetoric uh, regarding the part about, you know, this will impact, you know, the hegemony of the U.S. dollar and therefore U.S. national security. This is the same kind of thing that what was it sherman i can't remember yeah brad sherman i think was a yes. guy who was he was saying the same thing about a month or two ago about bitcoin the difference is that bitcoin doesn't have anything that you can send a letter to saying please stop this you're going to harm the supremacy of the us dollar whereas facebook you know they they release a white paper the network is not even up running or done and they've already been sent a letter so like i've said before if your if your cryptocurrency or whatever you're building if you can basically get sent a letter and that could destroy your project then it's not interesting to me in terms of censorship resistant money absolutely i think the u.s government should shut should put satoshi behind bars and we all know who Satoshi is. <laughs> to I mean, stop this. If he gets if he gets put behind bars, it's going to be for being a whiny crybaby in courtrooms. Like, Wait, put the NSA in jail? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> that too. All right. Yeah. You see, so, I'm very because the NSA made Bitcoin. Get it? Yeah, I got it. All right, guys. So uh, let's uh, move on talking about, like we're saying, man, Bitcoin and geopolitics. This story is just ramping up. So last we spoke about Iran, 
and what's going on over there. It was the story about local Bitcoins cutting service for the country and Hodo Hodo moving in to cover the lost ground. But the story before that one we covered, uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining rigs being seized at the border for uh, not following the country's strict rules for mining was the topic. So now it looks like we have a very similar story coming out of the Middle Eastern country. This time it was two separate mining farms shut down in an abandoned factory. In total, around 1,000 mining rigs were seized. We have uh, reported in the past about Iran's precarious political position with U.S. sanctions being levied against them. Then there's also the fact that uh, Russia and Iran have talked openly about creating a crypto ruble to use for trade. And uh, this crunch has put Iran in the hot seat to make use of the Bitcoin ecosystem to stand up for themselves. We saw them push the cost of electricity down to 0.006 cents per kilowatt hour. But that's on a very strict basis for miners who sign contracts with the government to mine in Perdi Technology Park, and which Perdi is touted as the Silicon Valley of Iran. And it's where the government has set up facilities for R&D and mining operations. But we know not all miners follow the proper paper trail. And those are the guys finding themselves in the hot seat. Iran has moved their way up fast in their understanding of the Bitcoin ecosystem. But the mining ecosystem is still not totally under their grasp. There are uh, people mining in schools and mosques where there's free electricity until they are caught in the process. In fact, things have been moving so quick that it's led to some unexpected hurdles. The Iranian Energy Ministry spokesman Mustafa Rajabi said the increase in digital currency has wait a minute. The increase in digital currency mining has made the power grid quote unstable and has caused problems for consumers. On June 21st, the energy output measured for the month suggested they have an increase in energy consumption of 7%. All of that is largely due to the increased activity in mining within the country. And speaking of that growing mining ecosystem, we have this tweet in the show notes from Kevin Rook or at K Rook on Twitter, who says, quote, Bitcoin's hash rate is now at 69 quintillion hashes every second, which is up 2x since December's 2018 lows and over 10x since June 2017. He then goes on to make a uh, funny comparison about the estimation of grains of sand on the earth, which is supposedly 7 quintillion, and how Bitcoin hashes 10 times that every second. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how many grains of sand are on the earth, but 69 quintillion hashes is very impressive. All right. So, uh, yeah. What do you guys think about Iran ironing out the kinks in their system and Bitcoin's recent uh, uptick in hash rate? Well, I think obviously at least some people out there are bullish on the price, uh, bringing a bunch of new hash rate on here onto the network. But at least some people, some well, yeah. people are bullish. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't Some you people. mean everyone? <laughs> no, I mean people who are willing to put up enough capital or capital to materially affect the actual network hash rate. But uh, more on the specific side of Iran, I I don't think it's really unreasonable for them to try to crack down on illicit like operations like that when you're talking in some areas a seven percent increase in electricity consumption like that's nothing to sneeze at and a big part of iran's resources are oil so like that that's just yeah like i mean 
it would have been nice to see Iran just turn into a free for all miners paradise, but that's something that's going to materially affect your oil reserves over time when you're talking energy increases like that. So, I mean, it's not unreasonable to try to tamp that down a little bit. Yeah. I mean, like uh, that's where I think just putting out that blanket statement about 0.006 cents per kilowatt hour. And you know, the Chinese miners just came running in and uh, they didn't quite, maybe they didn't quite understand the level of, uh, people trying to take advantage of where electricity is not being accounted for. And, you know, that's kind of just one of the processes of the mining ecosystem when it moves into your country is you're going to start patching all these holes where the electricity grid is not properly, uh, you know, accounting for what electricity is being burned. And, um, or, you know, maybe there is like, yeah, something monitoring it and they, uh, they notice the spike, but they don't exactly understand where, uh, where exactly it's located and then they narrow in on it and yeah i mean this happened in china over the course of years with bitmain running mines out there in mongolia without anybody having some sort of paper contract with any government official and yeah it took a long time for that to actually kind of get reined in and this time not so much i mean like it seems to be as soon as they recognize something's going on outside of that designated zone where they said they sort of set up shop for these miners to operate, then, uh, yeah, they're going to come after that. And yeah, it makes sense that they're doing that. They want to, you know, make sure this thing grows in a healthy way that I guess they can control. And, um, yeah, that's all going to be through the proper paper trail. And yeah, you know, miners, they're going to go around that if they can. Some people are bullish. definitely man so uh all right let's uh yeah you're right man this might be an early show today because uh we're just a few stories away and so uh let's talk about some people that were disappointed so um back in june of 2017 a group of russian banks got together to create a blockchain product called master chain that would quote be used to help create minimum viable products for group members in use cases as diverse as peer-to-peer -peer insurance and mortgage tracking and issuance, close quote. The banks in the group are Spurbank, Alpha Bank, VTB, uh, a subsidiary of the Austrian bank, uh, Raiffeisen, I want to say it's Raiffeisen Bank, and Otkreit Bank. Anyway, them being banks in 2017 being 2017, they used a fork of Ethereum and had plans to launch in mid-2018. Well, now it's mid-2019, and we have some new information coming out of the project. Mainly, that is everyone's disappointed with it. Head of the blockchain lab, Olag Arbadrostov, I'm sorry. Um, Arbadrostov. Okay, yeah. I almost just said I'm going to kill this. I'm sorry, Olag. Said the system is inefficient, insecure, and slow, quote, Master Chain does not satisfy the requirements for Spurbank's use case, so for all future exploration, we will use enterprise blockchain platforms such as Hyperledger, Fabric, or Quorum, close quote. So I guess they understand enough to know they don't understand, but not enough to know what they need. It cost them a pretty penny to reach this point, too. Each participant paid an estimated $120,000 to $230,000 a year to participate in this project. 
that adds up to around $1.5 million to $2.7 million. And Olug said the problem started with slow technical development from the FinTech Association, and there was a bigger problem of not sufficiently de- of not being sufficiently decentralized. He said, quote, its operation fully depends on the FinTech Association's central server that controls mining and consensus, close quote. Then there were other issues with gas tokens being arbitrary or unattainable and the system being grossly inefficient. The product is so unreliable that Spurbank plans to use Master Chain and the legacy system, so the blockchain has a backup. Last reality check for them was the understanding that they would have to roll out new networks for every use case, and they couldn't just put everything under one chain. So what's the future of Master Chain? Well, Spurbank plans to finish what it started with Master Chain, but it won't initiate any new work. It's likely they will find a way to work with Quorum or Hyperledger, there are more market participants there to pretend like they are actually doing something. So, yeah, it looks like uh, Russia kind of woke up as to what they were sniffing in 2017 and realized that this wasn't such a great idea. What do you guys think? What? Are you telling me that putting everything on blockchain is not genius idea? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know this email is not about sarcastically laughing on stupid projects and saying that we told you so but this is hilarious <laughs> when i was reading it i was like oh we could have pointed that out in 2017 we could have pointed that out in 2017 and here it is. we we just use old banks as backup in case blockchain break <laughs> i think that is the funniest part where it's like look we got to keep working on this thing because we spent a bunch of money, but we might want to keep that legacy system to back this blockchain up for some reason. <laughs> oh, God. The, yeah, it's uh, it's getting crazy. But like we're saying, man, I mean, it's a different time. It's not 2017 anymore. People are waking up to smell the roses. It's Bitcoin, not blockchain, baby. No, the Bank of International Settlement says that a CBDC is inevitable. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I imagine in another two years, in 2021, we'll hear about how they're waking up to smell the roses they should have been smelling in 2019. So, yeah. Imagine the thousands of developer hours that has been put into this and the thousands of developer hours that's going to be put into fixing this thing and never going to roll out or work. Oh, my God, man, I know. <laughs> so wasteful, man. That's where it was like shit coins, not roses. Yeah, definitely. They're smelling shit coins and they're on the path. But yeah, that's that where rem- like I'm sorry, go ahead, Jeannie. That reminds me, we still haven't talked about uh there's like this meme going around about some kind of water spreading disease called crypto or something. I Do saw that. that. Yeah, I saw that, but like, I thought I just heard it. <laughs> she coins in the water. Someone yeah. needs to make someone needs to make a Jaws uh, meme with a shit coin coming out of the water. <laughs> Just a pile of poop coming out of the water instead of the shark fin. Yeah, that's uh that make that would be funny. We need to get no, that. It's real simple, real simple. Just just a picture of a litter box and shit coins. All right. Well, yeah, definitely the Bank of International Settlements needs to learn that game. Russia, but like we're saying, 
these guys are learning and I mean, at least they're going to do something else, but like no part was saying, sorry, I'm going back to what no part was saying as far as uh, development hours. That was like one of the main things in 2017 when I saw all this attention going towards Ethereum and a lot of different ICOs, I just kept thinking of the mind share and where all that was are going. You going blue, Matt? Are you going blue, Matt on us? All no, no, I'm totally not. Coins. Look, things are going to turn here in this. So, like, that's what I thought. And I started the meetup and, like, you know, I was definitely at a lot of blockchain and Ethereum meetups kind of preaching what Bitcoin's bringing to try and convince some of these developers what they should be working on. And I do think I turned one or two, but I don't think it was, like, worth the effort because I started to learn what, you know, what I kind of learned over time as far as markets learning and the way that it takes lost value as far as lost time invested, lost money invested. It takes these things for people to actually learn. And that's where I've kind of become a lot more accepting in this idea of letting the market decide on this thing because it will eventually play out. But it's going to be a long play and there's going to be a lot of destruction along the way. But I mean, people are learning, but it takes it takes that loss. And um, yeah, that's something I eventually woke up to. That mind share will come over. It's just going to take a lot longer than I thought. But you see, what you're saying is really interesting because I was thinking about many times that well, I should just I should just go and uh, spread the, how to do Bitcoin development in the .NET world because they other dotnet developers might end up building some stupid blockchain that's never going to be used for anything you know the typical what what the the javascript node.js web developers went into the direction of building on ethereum and while wasting their times i don't want the same to happen with the dotnet people who did not really get into bitcoin that much yet but I mean, I guess it's inevitable to large, large percentage of the developer community to get into Bitcoin and they should, there should be some, some push in the right direction. Oh, what Nicolas Doria did that, that was beautiful. He wrote a Bitcoin library called N-Bitcoin. Then he wrote a book that was called Programming the Blockchain in <clears throat> C-Sharp. So now every .NET developer starts out with programming the blockchain in C-Sharp and it actually has nothing to do with blockchain. It's just how to use his and Bitcoin library. So that, that's the right way to do this, you know. That's where it takes some innovative thinking to get people to uh, drive their decision making. Because, it, you, you know, on this subject, on this subject of value and what people see as valuable, it really does take that and that investment from themselves to actually sort of figure out where they stand and you can't really convince them you have to think about an interesting way to hook them oh just okay just a little bit of side note that actually uh we we were talking with you know in the adult network there is a guy called scott hanselman who may be the most most famous programmer in .NET, or I know you're going to laugh at it, but they call it uh, .NET evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a Microsoft evangelist. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we, we, we sent uh, one of our guys to 
not one of our guys, uh, one, one of the developer of a library that we are using uh, to talk to him in his podcast. And he actually uh, showed Wasabi as the main project, the most used project on, on the UI library. Because anyway, I don't go into the history. But the point is that he actually downloaded Wasabi and played around with it. So maybe at least those people, he might understood that what the what the thing is, and he 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 has now this this. Oh, maybe I should go into this direction because I have seen that there is some content there and not just pop over, you know. And then he makes a shit coin. No, no, no. But that is one of the, par- the parts of the learning curve. But, you know, some people can, um, you know, only be there for a second and realize it wasn't the smart move. So, yeah, that sounds like uh, real interesting. That guy picked up Wasabi. Hopefully he'll, I don't know, maybe he'll put up PR or something. <laughs> maybe. All right. So speaking of PRs, man, it looks like uh, L&D's got some stuff moving around. What's happening there? Uh, so version 0.7 beta uh, has been released and it has the private uh, watchtowers so you can use that without compiling a separate branch yourself. Um, so right now it's completely altruistic without any kind of reward for working properly. And you have to configure um, a listen port and all the fun networking stuff in the configuration file. But it has a separate pub key compared to the rest of the Lightning node. So that trying to access it and use it requires knowing that pub key. And that's done to kind of keep things not simple to make publicly available um, and so on because like I said, there there is no profit incentive for these yet. They're just completely altruistic. Uh, there has been a few bug fixes um, involving the wallet chain sync, uh, the UTXO sweeper. So what kind of handles UTXO management um, between channels and on-chain um, as well. I've sorted out some issues with timing. If two outputs from a commitment transaction have different time locks and use the same hash lock um set that up so that you can't have the uh the conflict there where one of them might be um spendable maliciously uh implemented some improvements to the peer-to-peer and gossip protocol uh, as well as some rpc changes if you're doing anything uh, you might want to look at and some routing improvements uh, as well and so this is you know pretty awesome got both some major liquid stuff dropping and some major feature improvements in a new lnd beta all layers moving forward full speed heck yeah man that's where i'm talking about i mean eventually the developer mindshare did sort of figure out what's going on i mean the amount of people working on lightning network has really kind of surprised me and um yeah that's an awesome thing to see though and uh like you're saying from the earlier story i mean you know now that sea lightning and liquid are 
you know, they can work together. I mean, you know, that development and like you're saying with the liquid swap tool, I mean, they're doing development on their own. I mean, this stuff is really moving forward. I mean, this idea of uh, what's going to happen on the next bull run as far as like uh, things grinding to a halt. There's, I don't think that's going to happen this time. I think there's some tools that we'll see people take advantage of, mainly these. Yeah, I mean, things are getting very close to an incredibly strong position when you throw massive load at it. Like a lot of stuff isn't really polished or full featured, but it's ready for use if that use piles on. So it's going to be interesting to see. All right, man. So I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nipur. I just said court card but go ahead if you have something <laughs> court card. that's what i was gonna say it was like all right I, something else is getting developed i do cold card are you trying to steal my shilling bonus <laughs> no i'm not that familiar with the with the release but i'm familiar with the part of the release i'm very familiar well Imagine. you can wait a second then so they dropped recently multi-sig support, uh, which allows you to do M of N uh, wallets. And that was pretty neato. But they've just rolled out a, another new release building on that. And I'll get into that in a second. That's pretty neat. But with the, the previous release, there is now um, M of N multi-sig support that can be set up air-gapped. They have changed the uh, byte endianness of the um, public key fingerprint. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, that's going to invert itself and drop the uh, 0x prefix. And yeah, the new thing, which is really cool, is you can now create seed words just by rolling a six-sided die and inputting the... Uh, the roll into the key card through the keypad. You need at least 99 rolls uh, to get 256 bit security from that. But like you can literally provide your own entropy to a cold card now. Like that is just badass as fuck. And I guess uh, I will now pass it off to Nopara to explain the next badass thing. Well, I'm not quite sure it's a badass thing, but uh, it's a very important thing to use this version of the code card firmware if you are using it with Wasabi. Because, well, not really, only if you want to use Wasabi in the future for PSBT workflow, you know, this 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 unique thing that only code card has that uh, you have to put your SD card into... Uh, your computer, build a transaction, take out the SD card, put it into cold card for signing, take out and put back for broadcasting. So for this, it's, it's important to use this thing because what they did in the previous release, they added a Wasabi wallet skeleton file. Uh, however, this didn't work because there is some confusion with the master fingerprint. At least that's what uh, Peter the Great code card developer told me that there is some confusion in the. Okay, what's the master fingerprint? 
the master fingerprint, th there is the XPUB key, which is connected to your account. And there is a master fingerprint, which is connected to your, your master account, or how would you say that, your, your seed. Uh, and based on that master fingerprint, you have to give that information to to the hardware wallet, to any hardware wallet. And that's how the hardware wallet knows that which uh, seed uh, in the hardware wallet they should use. Anyhow, the thing is that there is some, it's a good question. So he said there is a confusion in the industry in, about the master fingerprint, uh, the NDNS. So, which byte or which order should you read the bytes? And Code Card is reading one way, HVI is reading another way. I guess HVI is is uh, normalizing it. Uh, I'm 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 really getting into technical details. The point that that the previous firmware that they created the wasabi skeleton file in a in a in the wrong byte order now is this the wrong byte order the thing is when you go on code card to show your identity he's going to show it in the i don't want to say wrong but in one way uh but the how it should show how other softwares show it at least uh electrum and uh HVI and Wasabi is that the other in the other order. So that creates a huge confusion and you won't be able to <clears throat> send money uh, with court card with this PSB TSD card workflow uh, unless you change the byte order in the master fingerprint. So I actually contributed to this release <laughs> on GitHub. Oh yeah, one very one mildly interesting thing that i noticed that they don't have issues enabled on github i don't know why but that's really smart because people cannot have complaints <laughs> anyhow uh <clears throat> yeah so this is an important update uh, uh yeah so you might ask that hey that, but the other firmware did this way the byte order the new firmware did this way the byte order uh, so how do you resolve that conflict there the trick is that if the, you do the <clears throat> the master thing you do the wallet export with the old firmware then wasabi uh normalizes the byte order but he added the new field that's called code card firmware version and if it's with the newer version then wasabi just takes the byte order that that they already fixed so wow that was that was mildly interesting <laughs> so you're saying you got to read the number backwards well yes the number bytes which is interesting in a way that uh, you represent a byte with two character there so you have to read it backwards uh, 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 if you want to read it by by with your eyes because you can 
So you have to take two characters from the end, put it in the beginning, two characters from the end, put it in after the beginning once. Uh, yeah. So it's quite a dangerous confusion, though. But anyway. A strong cryptography ban. Yeah, but it's also, it's also like, and we have a standard and standards are not very standard you know like the z <laughs> z pub z pub y pub and these kind of things are very very inconsistently used in all the wallets and oh in fact in electrum i was looking at their their x pub key and i think they are doing some magic there too because the x pub key is different than the what the x pub key should be so well, this some some standards and and then people are surprised by wallet intercompatibility issues. Well, yeah, <laughs> there are a lot. Uh, they'll have a good a good good solution for that. Good good advice that uh, you should just use one wallet and then be really aware when you are putting your seed into another wallet. That what are you really doing? Yeah. Yeah, ease of access versus like strong security, and it's a it's a tough one to measure. And definitely, the standards are not standard yet. We're still coming up with that one. Mm -hmm. It's important though because you need to deal with all these issues in a way that doesn't create a user nightmare. Yeah, luckily we have been able to communicate. They were very. The code card developers are very responsive. I'm, I'm jealous of them. I wanna be that responsive too. Uh, yeah, but they were very, very professional in the way of handling that. Yeah. Mm hmm. Hmm. Interesting how professional attitudes are in this space. Yeah. What, what's professional? Because in Bitcoin, companies like to be cool, cooler than 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 professional companies. So there is a trend there that that companies starting to be more humane and less professional, which has benefits and drawbacks to. Uh, for example, Blockstream would hire trolls to troll the internet but not really trolls it just just correct the many trolls those are out there after blockstream uh would that be a professional behavior from blockstream not really would that be more humane to to hire some people to correct the misinformation that's spreading uh probably i don't know are you calling me a troll? Yeah, I started with the wrong word. <laughs> Punk. I, I don't know. Is it public yet? But 
don't know. Uh, Rick, I'm why sorry. don't you take us into the next story? Yeah, plus I've been super distracted. I don't know if you guys are getting this, but I keep getting those Twitter messages from this morning trickling in. I'm like, what is this? All right. Yeah, we actually do have an unexpected story. Something has kind of broken right before we went on air, and it's worth covering and, uh, you know, probably be a little too late next week. So the Casa... Casa Node, Casa Huddle just launched a uh, Satsback Rewards app. And I'm looking through the uh, highlights of the statement here, and I grabbed like the main pieces as far as what's going on with this uh, new wallet. It's a uh, Casa LN wallet, and it says, you quote, you will be able to earn Bitcoin if you don't have a Casa node, but you will be able to earn Bitcoin faster if you have a node. So like you don't earn like you as soon as you sign up for the wallet i guess you're earning bitcoin with daily use but you'll earn more bitcoin if you connect it to a casa node like faster you earn more so it's a lightweight app but allows you to experiment the full gamut from earning your first sats to operating a full node from your phone and there's also a feature called sats sats tag which is a human readable pseudo-anonymous username that can optionally link with your casa node address and they say, we realize that not everyone will want to link their node with a sats tag, so we will always fully support invoice and address-based payments as well. And lightning payments to other nodes uh, without receiving an invoice first. So there'll be the invoiceless uh, lightning network payments as well. And there's also a testnet mode for new users. And this is a uh, statement about the sats back rewards that you'll be earning. They say, quote, Today, we are revealing the first of our Sats Back features, a 20,000 Sats reward for simply connecting your Casa node to Sats app. To connect your Casa node, you'll need to activate Tor and be fully up to sync with the network. Future Sats Back features will not only help people earn Sats, we hope they will encourage better use and adoption of Bitcoin. We'll be announcing and rolling out more Sats Back features over the coming weeks. So, yeah, it looks like this was just announced this morning from Casa Hodel, and it looks pretty interesting to me, like we were discussing earlier, as far as interesting hooks to try and, uh, you know, gain people into the system, whether that's developing or just regular adoption. And this idea of uh, getting people to earn sats on the Lightning Network, I mean, that sounds like, a, I mean, hey, I mean, you know, maybe I'll just uh, go ahead and start doing that, download that app and connect it to a CASA node. And maybe I can earn back the the amount of money it cost me to get the CASA node. You know, I mean, uh, it definitely sounds interesting. Like, uh, what do you guys think about this? I mean, it just seems uh, like point blank, like just a rebate program trying to hide just being a simple rebate program with some slick app and marketing and stuff. I mean, I, I don't fault them for that, but it's like that's <laughs> that's pretty much what this is. Yeah, it's a rebate marketing thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean that happened earlier this morning, and you know, bringing it up later next week. I don't know if it'd be uh you know relevant at that point, but you know, yeah, it definitely looks like something that could interestingly drive adoption, but it could definitely also interestingly affect Casa's uh, profit there. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. They're not so stupid to, like, start selling something at a loss. So that. But, um, yeah, it's, it just seems like it's not going to do more than maybe sell a few of their products and get 
normies like accumulating ridiculously small amounts of bitcoin for little shit and buying things and i mean it's not bad but like that that's bluntly what it is i'm gonna have to look into it man Twenty thousand sets a day if that's the case (laughs) i don't know maybe all right, yeah, but I think that about rounds us off for today. It was still a little bit of an early show. Nopara, Janine, Shinobi, y'all got some final thoughts here? Maybe I could drum one up. Go, 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 go. I'm I'm going to say what Janine usually says. No. <laughs> I'll say a final thought. Keep your eyes peeled for some Block Digest clips. We got some uh, that testnet stuff going on in the background of ourselves. So, uh, you know, yeah, keep an eye peeled for that stuff eventually. Eventually being the key word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, don't, don't expect it tomorrow <laughs> or nothing. You know, we got some work to do. This is all, you know, yeah, it's, it's work involved. My final thought is, uh, like I said, it's Assange's birthday, but actually something else interesting happened yesterday, which is that Stefania, who's been doing a lot of the FOIA requests regarding the um, the communication between the UK Crown Prosecution Service and the Swedish prosecu- prosecution, and I think Australia as well, I'm not sure, um, as well as any U.S. agencies involved. She's been trying to get those documents and emails made public, and the upper tribunal uh, case was yesterday. And so she um, said afterwards that um, the verdict on whether that those documents will, uh, if they can force the uh, CPS, and I don't, I don't know who exactly they would be contacting what part of the case this is, but um, hopefully the documents from the CPS will be made public and we'll see what other shenanigans they were up to over the past several years while they've been effectively trying to block um, any legal progress in Assange's case, which has cost uh, him obviously a lot of money, Um, WikiLeaks a lot of time in terms of getting meaningful work done and just wasted everyone's time. So hopefully that will come soon. Yeah, that's uh, that would definitely be good to get that information out there. I mean, the more information that comes out about this, the more people can be educated and not educated by that huge level of propaganda levied against him. And uh, yeah, just final, final, final thought. Uh, happy birthday again, Julian Assange. That at nine. I know it's not a probably, it'll be a birthday to remember for sure. So happy birthday. Yeah. And for anyone who'd be interested, I think the, uh, if you haven't seen it, there's a nothing to say sculpture that's been going around since I think 2015. I'm not quite sure when it was first released, but this artist basically made three um, life-size sculptures of Edward Snow, Assange and Chelsea Manning as we thought Chelsea Manning looked at the time. And so they're standing on three chairs and then there's a fourth chair that you can actually interact with the sculpture and stand up on like you're standing up with them. And I think that that's somewhere in Italy right now. And that will be coming up soon. Um, Yeah. And then the other thing is that there's a campaign going around right now to um, 
to spread awareness about Assange's case, and it involves taking a selfie, holding a picture, which I think, let me check really quick what it says. I get something like, looking it up really quick. Um, Assange's freedom is my freedom. I'm So there's various messages you can choose from, it looks like. Um, Assange's freedom is my freedom. Asylum for Julian Assange. Uh, I think there's another one. Press freedom is my freedom. So there's a few different ones, but basically you just take a black and white selfie um, holding up one of these signs. And apparently a collection of these photos will be sent to Assange um, as like a birthday present within the next week or so. Um, so if you want to see more about that, go to the Courage Foundation website because they're uh, that'll link you to the um, campaign, which I think it's called We Are Millions, um, if you want to participate in that. But obviously, I don't recommend doxing yourself if you don't want to dox yourself. Yeah, you just got to put on that Guy Fox mask and put something. Well, you know, make it an interesting way to not show yourself. And, you know, maybe you'll be one of the ones uh, Julian gets to see because hopefully he gets a ton of them where they have to pick the best. And that definitely sounds like an interesting sculpture I wish I could participate in. So, yeah, it looks like Shinobi's final thought is going to be the final, final thing. Uh, oh, wait, you got I a demand. No, I just demand finality. Okay. Shinobi gets finality, so we got to say our goodbyes now. <clears throat> Later, everyone. Y'all have a great evening. We'll see you next week. Auf Wiedersehen. Adios, everybody. See you Wednesday. All these squares make a circle. All these squares make a circle.